There is no other king like King Jesus. Uh, idiomatic phrase that I've been using for years when I talk about Jesus, I always usually typically call him King Jesus. For some people, that takes them aback. They, they kind of like, what, what is this? Why would you say such a thing? Well, because we in America, we really have trouble with a monarchy, don't we? A little something in our history that causes us to pause at the thought of a king. While we were living in Canada, I'm, by the way, I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome this morning. You were greeted by Wyatt Warren and led by Dan Stevens. I like to introduce folks so you guys, in case you're visiting, you'd like to know who the, we are. So uh, that's who we are. Dan, you were the minister of music here right after the day of Pentecost, I believe, is when you started. <laughs> so uh, glad to have you still with us. Yeah, not been translated into glory yet, so that's, that's good. When we were living in Canada, I was approached by our minister of immigration who became a, actually a personal friend of ours. Uh, our church was in a position in such that uh, being a very large church, we were pretty influential, especially in the West. And uh, one of my pastors was actually the confidant to Stephen Harper, who was uh, our prime minister. So it was kind of interesting the, the, that an American was pastoring a church like that in Canada. Well, the, the minister of immigration, he approached me, he said, Pastor Scott, you've been in Canada now for three years you could become a citizen. And I thought, that's what I thought. Why in the world would I ever want to do that? That's my first thought. And then he started, I didn't say it out loud, fortunately. And then, then he said to me, you know, it'd make so much easier for you to come and go uh, across the border. You can use your Canadian passport, your American passport. And when you travel, everybody knows that Canadians are loved by everyone and Americans are loathed by everyone. <laughs> Appreciated that. I didn't know if to thank him or be insulted or both. And then he, I finally said, well, that's very interesting. What would I have to do? And he said, well, it's not very difficult. You would have to uh, go through a process, and then you would have to you know, take a, a Canadian kind of history test. And I, I've never struggled with tests. I, I always thought it was an opportunity to prove my immense intellect. I said that with tongue-in-cheek, y'all. And um, he, then he said, then you would have to pledge allegiance to the queen. I said, which queen? <laughs> He said, the Queen of England, of course. And I said, I thought this is Canada. He said, no, no, we're, we're a Commonwealth country, and we uh, pay allegiance to the Queen. And I said, I have a problem there because my forefathers bled the right ground red to be freed from the monarchy of the King of England. There's a little issue there called freedom. You see, C Canadians, I respect them and love them, but they didn't bleed the ground red for their freedom. They signed a treaty in 1860-something, where we declared our independence and we fought and bled and died for it. In fact, my, on my mother's side of the family, my mother is Southern aristocracy, which means nothing. They were poor and owned a little bit of land. That's what it meant. But their land was bequeathed to them right after the revolution because my great-grandfather, Joe Causey, was a colonel in the Revolutionary Army. So this hit a personal chord with me. I could not pledge allegiance to a queen or a king. I never became a Canadian, even though I love Canadians, and I'll have to go back there from time to time. In fact, I, I'm working with a few churches there in Canada even right now. But there is one king who's captured my full allegiance because he is the king of glory. He's the king of power. He's the king of forgiveness. He's the king that the heavens cannot contain and the grave cannot hold. He's King Jesus. And he is the king 
of peace. And I don't know about you, but I know this as I live in this life, one of the most cherished things that I hope for and have is peace. Going through the circumstances and situations, if you live long enough, you'll be hurt bad enough. And life is hard, it gets harder. Would y'all agree with me? But Jesus is good, and this is bad grammar, so don't send me an email, and he gets gooder. And he is the king that gives me peace. I recently said to my sweet Tara that I could go through anything as long as I know I have God's peace. And God's peace sustains and holds me and keeps me. So today, we're going to find ourselves back in the Gospel of Luke, an encounter with King Jesus. We're going to look at the historical account of him riding into Jerusalem that fateful day that we call Palm Sunday, the beginning of the Holy Week. And I pray this week will truly be holy for you. I want to remind you that we provided a resource with you, a journey to the cross uh, through the book of John. And this week is the, the week where we talk about come and die or come and surrender. And obviously on Friday night, we're going to gather, and we're going to celebrate together the Lord's Supper then on Sunday, we're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate the risen Savior. Not, not a historical nuance, but the most accurately documented event in ancient history, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, Sunday, next week, going to be good. Y'all come, bring some folks. Let's pack this place. Make, let's make it look like a, you know, the bottom of a bait can full of worms. All for King Jesus. So today, I want to share with this, this account, and I want to take you on this journey of peace, and I want you to find yourself encountering King Jesus. Let King Jesus change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or thoughts or even the pattern of my words or thinking, but your truth that leads us to understand who and what and how you are. And I thank you that you are incredibly good and you're incredibly faithful. In fact, Father, no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor has it even entered the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those of us who love you. And Father, I believe that in this room there are some folks today that are going to declare their love for you because you are King Jesus. And I thank you for what you want to say to us. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' strong name. Amen. I don't know if you're familiar with the Fox News Channel. Anybody familiar with the Fox News Channel? A few of you, I would suggest, yeah. If you know, if you watch Fox News long enough, you'll be mad. Did you know that? There's a guy on the Fox News named Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly has a book out called Killing Jesus. You know what I say about that book? No one killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life willingly for us. I want to send Bill O'Reilly an email, but I, I don't want to get in that briar patch because I think it is a briar patch. But Jesus gave himself willingly. Now, in this account, we find ourselves in the book of Luke. Jesus has fixed his face like flint to the cross. If you look kind of at, at the overview of it, and in fact, I've been down this, this road that from Bethany down through the Mount of Olives up to the temple. I've been on that road. We go to Israel. We'll go down that road together. It's kind of steep. I'd rather go down it than up it, if you know what I mean. And, and I've been there, and I realized the, the tight quarters, and I realized 
the length of it and the opportunity the people had to declare the kingship of Jesus. But you, you look at this, and Jesus had done a few things. He had healed a blind man in Jericho. And the blind man said, son of David, have mercy on me. And G Jesus asked him a strange question. What do you want me to do for you? Dude, he's blind. What do you think he wants you to do for him? But Jesus didn't ask that question as a question. He asked that question as a heart search. And he asked you the same question today. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, he knows what you need. But what will you willingly submit to him? What will you willingly admit to him, even though he has predetermined your need? And Jesus had stopped by his friend, and he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. I love that account of him raising Lazarus from the dead. He's so much God, if he had called anybody else's name, the whole graveyard would come up. Everybody would have been resurrected. Uh, I'm sure that if there was some Baptists there that had complained about who got resurrected, why did you leave him dead? He just needed to be dead. I'm, I'm a Baptist, so I can tell those kind of jokes. But Jesus comes to this place of the triumphal entry. Now, what's really interesting in this account that he is fulfilling the prophecy set by Zechariah many, many years ago when Zechariah said, Behold your king riding in on a colt. Now, this was such a, a significant, intricate detail. Uh, the book of Matthew, who G, Matthew was writing to the Jews, he showed how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies about himself. There were over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. The probability of fulfilling all those prophecies is astronomical unless the prophecies were not prophesying things that may not happen, but things that did happen and will happen. In fact, years before, Daniel had made a prophecy about the abomination of desecration that a guy named, well, I don't know if you guys want to know this, but uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes would come into Jerusalem and desecrate the temple with pig's blood. And then uh, Judas Maccabees would rise up and throw him out, and they would light the menorah, and the menorah would burn as a miracle for nine or 12 or somehow, somehow many days on just one day of oil, and they, could, and they called it Hanukkah. It was in the, in the biblical period. Am I boring y'all yet? And he, he stood, Jesus stood years before that event. He stood by the menorah. The menorah represented God's presence with his people. And Jesus stood by that menorah and he declared, I am the light of the world. I am the promise. I am the God who's dwelling among you. Whew. And so we find ourselves in the middle of Revelation, here in Luke chapter 19. Let me read for us. After telling this story, what story did Jesus tell? He told the story of the parable of the talents. And he told that story, and then he goes on. Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. Now, you look at that little nuance of passage of Scripture, you go, what does that mean? Usually, you see Jesus walking with his disciples. But Jesus had taken this place of camaraderie and stepped into a place of absolute leadership. Jesus had realized that his time had come and he was stepping into that place of absolute leadership. And this is what I'm say, I'll say to you guys, I want you to hold on to. Don't lead if you don't know where you're going. Jesus knew where he was going. 
And he was the head of his disciples, and he was leading them toward Jerusalem. And as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, and he told them, and as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. I love the fact that Warren Wearsby makes the comment that an unbroken donkey or colt or little animal like this might be difficult to ride. But because Jesus is not only Lord of life, he's Lord of all creation, even the animals submitted to Jesus without being broken, they were pre-broken by the king of glory, the king of creation. I thought that was interesting. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Jesus says, the Lord needs it. Now, the, the historical evidence of the kings of Israel, they always announce their presence by riding in on a colt, on a donkey, on a small beast of this nature. So Jesus was keeping up not only with the historical evidence, the customable evidence, but also the prophecy. The Lord needs it. So he went and found the colt just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying him, the only asked, why are you untying that colt? And the disciple says, the Lord needs it. And that was the end of discussion. Now, we know in Texas there might have been a knife fight. The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode, the crowd spread their garments on the, on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down to the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all his wonderful miracles that they had seen. They said this, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now I want you to hold on to that. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. You remember in Luke chapter two, when the angels sang? Well, they, they didn't sing, excuse me, they said. Like that's a whole nother theological, angels don't sing, they, they said. They said glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to men on whom God's favor rests. Luke comes and, as a beautiful storyteller, encapsulates this account again. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. Another fulfilling a prophecy. So we see this amazing account. And we read this, and we could read this, kind of buzz through it and be innocuous, and we could wave our palm branches, and we can go to the house and say, oh, that was cool. Or we could let this event soak into our lives, because I want to tell you this. There comes a time in every one of our, our lives that King Jesus rides into our lives and demands our allegiance. He rides into our lives and demands our allegiance. You cannot ignore him nor will he be ignored. I think that is so powerful that I have a God who's so loving, he will not let me go. So some things I want to point out to you as we look at King Jesus and his kingdom are these. First thing is that King Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Now, this hyperstatic tension between God and man was something that was debated by the early church and finally settled uh, in the fifth century. Can you imagine that? They argued about this for 500 years, whether or not he was fully God and fully man. And finally, they came to the, the staggering conclusion that the Bible and the writers of the, of the Gospels and the writers of the Old Testament actually had their act together and they were actually true. 
Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, sometimes we look at theological nuances and we don't understand the struggle that people went through to come to the revelation of truth. But, but they did. And Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, this truth, this theological truth, shapes everything about us. Everything. I remember while in seminary, I took a class with Dr. Fisher Humphreys on systematic theology. And Humphreys, quoting C.S. Lewis, quoting A.W. Tozer, said, the most important thoughts you think are your thoughts about God. Think about that. And if you struggle with the deity of Christ, you struggle with the truth of God because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was not just a historical event, but it was a public declaration of his majesty. It was a public enunciation that he was Messiah, and Messiah would be fully God. Jesus Christ, the God-man. I heard uh, one theologian said that Jesus was so much God, while laying in the bosom of his mother, he could have spoke the worlds out of being. Wow. Wow. Jesus is God and there's no one like him. The most dynamic, compelling, effective communicator ever. The most appealing. Now, some people say this, and in fact, this could be a theological discussion we could get into. This might be a little fun. That uh, people say, well, Jesus wasn't very good looking. He wasn't very good looking. And... Um, that's interesting. I said, why do you say that? They said, well, in Isaiah, said that, that he had no form that we should look upon him, that he was not very, hey, y'all ever heard that? Yeah, some of you heard that, yeah. And I actually got to look and digging around on that, and I said, you know, Jesus, I don't know, you know, of course, every time he's in the movies, Jesus is some good-looking Italian guy, right? Yeah, with blonde hair and blue eyes and whatever. You never have ugly Jesus. But um, Isaiah was actually talking about this disfiguration of the crucifixion, not his physical appearance, but his disfiguration because he was beaten and despised and shamefully rejected. Huh. When Jesus walked into a room, he captivated everyone in the room. When Jesus walked onto a hillside, he captivated everyone on the hillside. The most dynamic figure to ever enter human history that literally the hinge of history swings on the gigantic doors of King Jesus. I heard one amen. Somebody's listening. That's amazing to me. And when I realized this is my king, this is my king, this is the one I bend my knee and bow my head to, this is the one I say, Jesus, I'm yours to. I can trust him because he loves me. I can adhere to him because he's too powerful for me not to. I can willingly give my life to him with confidence because he's King Jesus. I love what Paul said. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Wow. I realize that one day death is going to reach out its bony, cold, slimy fingers. Catch Pastor Scott. In fact, uh, 
Friday, Tara and I went on a little walk in Purgatory Creek. You know, you should really never walk through Purgatory. I just want to say as a theological kind of point. And I hit a stone and fell along the road. I fell, I fell down. I fell. I fell. And I hit on my left side. Tara, her first thought was, how am I going to get his dead body out of this, this ravine? And I wasn't, I wasn't hurt. My pride was somewhat nicked, but I wasn't hurt. I got up quickly because I'm a ninja. In fact, we lived in Canada so long, I learned how to fall. I, I fell four times in the parking lot one winter on the ice and snow. Canada's a treacherous place. Tara said it looks like SeaWorld when I fall because I'm flipping and turning in the air and, and, and like Shamu hitting on my back. But I, I fell on the trail, and, and I was once again came face to face with my mortality. <sighs> but the Lord is with me. I shall not be afraid. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I want to tell you something, my blessed friends. If there is a shadow, there has to be a light. And that's King Jesus. And his light overwhelms the darkness. Are you guys with me? I'm having fun this morning. I tell you, I better, I better giddy up or we'll be in, Melinda will be in here dragging me off the stage. Now, I want to get to this because this is, this is so awesome this triumphal entry of Jesus was literally the ushering in of the kingdom of peace. The ushering in of the kingdom of peace. King Jesus brings us peace. Peace. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, now, that word counselor doesn't mean somebody you, you lay on their couch and you tell your troubles to. That word counselor means the great administrator, the one who can organize and straighten up your nasty, messed up life. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the prince of what? Say it out loud. Peace. Peace. So as I look at this, this peace was declared at his birth, and now in this week of his crucifixion, it's declared once again. Our greatest need is forgiveness, and forgiveness brings us our greatest want, and that is peace. So how, how many of y'all been married a long time? Like over 40 years, raise your hand. Okay, that's a bunch of y'all. Wow. Wow. Options are pretty low here at Wimberley, aren't they? That's That's awesome. Tara and I have been married for, we're, we're in our 36th year. I'm already prognosticating ahead. Because I said, you got to put up with me to one of us is dead. That's the way it's going to work. You ever get in an argument? I mean, folks, you've been married so long, you ever get in an argument? No, y'all, you, you've been married so long, you don't argue anymore, do you? Okay, is this true? When mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Is that true? Yeah, happy, they say in Canada, happy wife, happy life. When I'm out of sorts with Tara, I'm out of sorts. And what I want to do is I want to make sure I, I, I have a peaceful resolution with Mama. Why? Because I have to live with her. And so that requires a tremendous amount of grace on her part and forgiveness on her part and overlooking a whole lot of faults on my part for us to live together in the bond of peace. Man, forgiveness brings peace, doesn't it? When she says to me, I know you're an idiot, but I forgive you. <laughs> that brings peace, doesn't it? Yeah. 
And this is what Jesus does for us. He brings peace to us. Some of you girls are going to say that this week. I know you're an idiot, but I forgive you. Pastor Scott said so. <laughs> Don't become whining to me, guys, like a bunch of little kittens, all right? For God made Christ. Now, get this. We have peace with God. Paul wrote this in, to the church at Corinth. It was a mess. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for sin so that we may be right with God through Christ. I, I like what another translation says this. And God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. I, I want to say this to you. I want you to hold on to this, okay? You can languish in your sin or you can live in the reality of your forgiveness. When Jesus looks at you, when, excuse me, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see accusation and condemnation. He says, no, I covered this young man. I see Jesus. And many of us dwell in the depravity of our past instead of the reality of our forgiveness. Do you know why Satan loves to remind you of your past? So he can keep you ineffective in your present and hold you captive with your thoughts. We have peace with God. Paul said this in the book of Romans. I, I love, love reading Paul, and I love reading how Paul's systematic theology was developing as he wrote, which shows me that God was busy. Paul wasn't Paul overnight. Paul became Paul because Paul was discipled. Paul started writing in Thessalonians. You get a, a brief look at his brilliant mind, and then by the time he gets to Romans, he's got it down. In Romans, he says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. Isn't that good? Y'all are shouting, Baptists. That's enough to shout about. Yeah, wow. But listen, here's some more. We have peace with ourselves. Do you ever feel like you're just not quite right? Do you ever look at other people and compare yourself to them and say, if I was only more like them, I'd be better? Do you ever let your insecurities or your deficiencies define you? I'm just talking about me now. You ever get locked in that cubicle of what people say you are and not what God says you are? Well, King Jesus rode in on a donkey that day to declare you don't have to look at yourself like you used to. You can look at yourself like God says you are. And you know what God says you are? The beloved. The beloved. Yesterday, our daughter Kayla called in fact, our granddaughter will be making her appearance here at 11 o'clock. You'll see the most beautiful, intelligent child in the world. She'll be here at 11. <laughs> she will not ride in on a donkey, but she'll be escorted in by my daughter. My daughter called me yesterday and said, Papa, it's time for Ivy to have a big girl bed. Can you bring the bed that was stored in our, our garage? Because like all children, whatever we have is theirs. <laughs> and I said... Absolutely. 
It doesn't matter my plan. It doesn't matter my schedule because my children have need of me. My children have need of me. And that's the way God loves you. That's the way he loves you. And sometimes he doesn't come as quickly as you think he should because he's God and you're not. And he lets you go through the struggle so we can refine your character. We have peace with ourselves. I love this, what Jesus said in John 14. Here the night he was betrayed. John 14 is just such an amazing. If, 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 if I'm with you long enough, I will preach through the book of John for y'all. Because Johann theology is just awesome. Awesome. We're going to pray for the pastor search team. We want them to take their time. Okay, anyway. All right. no, we want God's man. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give you. So don't be troubled or be afraid. Don't be troubled or be afraid. I'm going to give you peace. It gets a little better and we'll go a little faster. We have peace with one another. Because we've been reconciled with God and we've been reconciled with ourselves through the peace of God, through the proclamation of King Jesus, we can have peace with each other. This morning, the pastor search team talked about unity. Do you guys know that Paul talked more about unity than he did any other subject to the church? Because when people get together, they have a hard time getting along. Did you know that? Hmm. Paul said this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. That's Romans 12, 9 and 10. I love that it's, in fact, that it's in Romans 12 because Romans 12 says, therefore I urge you, my brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice. And when we become a living sacrifice, when we bend our knee to King Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm yours, Paul starts giving instructions on how a Jesus person lives. And a Jesus person lives in unity. You, you want to say, I want you to, I want you to hear this, okay? I want to say this in love. This life is not about you. It's not. It's not. People aren't waiting to serve you. They're not. This life is that you live for King Jesus. And how did King Jesus live? He gave his life. He set aside his prerogatives and privileges. He took off the robes of deity and put on the robes of a bondservant and submitted himself even to death, death on the cross. That's my example. I live for him, and then if I live for him, I love what one translation of Romans 12, 10 says, outdo one another by showing honor. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. You first. You know, in the South, when we, we have things we say to kind of polite, like somebody does something, we'll say, bless their hearts, right? You know that has two meanings, right? The first meaning is that we actually want their hearts to be blessed. And the second meaning means what? You're an idiot, right? <laughs> I discovered in the, with the Canadians, they had sorry. They, they said sorry, sorry, sorry. They would polish sorry, and it had two meanings. Sometimes they were sorry, and sometimes 
you were an idiot. <laughs> And uh, actually, there's a Greek word for idiot. It's used in, in, uh, in Acts 6. But anyway, um, so I'm, I'm not just being silly, uh, maybe a little bit. But with that thought, I have to live in such a way that I'm at peace with you. This week in your marriage, what if you outdid one another by showing honor? What about with your neighbors? You had to live that way with showing honor. What about on the, as you drive, you showed honor? Why? Because of King Jesus. Because of King Jesus. He changes me. I don't live as the center of the universe. He lives at the center of the universe, and I submit my life to him so I may live like him and be a blessing to others for him. Now, here's the last thing I want to say. We become ministers of God's peace. Hmm. I, I firmly believe this, that every Christian's a minister. Not everyone's a pastor. But every one of you are ministers. You're disguised as different things, as teachers or lawyers. Even lawyers can be ministers. Doctors and whatever, shop owners. But one thing I am is I'm a minister of peace. And so are you. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in Corinthians chapter 5. And all of this is a gift from God who brings us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Hmm. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. And he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we say, come back to God. Come back to God. In the coming weeks, you're going to have opportunities to ask people, come back to God. We're going to set up a few here on the weekends, our gatherings. Next Sunday, Easter, come back to God. Like them. The Sunday after that, we're starting a series on relationships called Crazy Love. And it's not a marriage series. It's a relationship series. We're going to look at what God's word says about things like, what was he thinking when he put man and woman together? What, what's that all about? Some of you wondered that a long time, right? I'm going to attempt to wade into that deep theological pool. What about conflict? Can conflict really be a pathway to intimacy? What about anger, bitterness, resentment, forgiveness? What about, what about blended families? How in the world does that work? Is there blended families in the Bible? How does that work? What about generational sin? Are you living under the curse from your parents and grandparents? Can you break those? Those are some of the things we're, we're going to be teaching on in Crazy Love. And we have a small group curriculum, our Bible study curriculum, that goes with that. Me teaching a little deeper that's on DVD, and we'll provide those, right? Why? We'll have those available uh, next week or so. But you could go a little deeper. Why? So you say to your friends, come back to God. Come back to God. You'll probably find yourself back with God as well. I think that's pretty cool. You see, the greatest honor we have, we could receive is representing King Jesus. I love this passage of Scripture. It just really strikes with me. And how can they call upon him to save him if they, if they, if they believe in him 
And how could they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how could they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. I want you all to look at your feet right now. Look at your feet. Just look down at them. Look at your feet. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Because you bring the good news of the gospel. Jesus made this grand entrance, the triumphal entry, we call it, thus declaring before all that he's the king of glory. And Jesus is king. And his kingdom ushered in not an earthly kingdom of rules and regulations, but the kingdom of peace. The kingdom of peace. So all I can say is this. All hail King Jesus. All hail his majesty. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. And throughout the ages, I'll sing his praises. And I will live with him, reign with him throughout eternity.